In New York City, everything is at your fingertips. With so many options for food, music, and culture, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. But instead of taking the classic New Yorker approach by kvetching, we're settling down to dig into a classic Yiddish tradition, the Kanish. Good morning. I'm George Borecki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Our first guest this morning knows a whole lot about the Kanish. In fact, she's written a whole book about it. It's called Kanish, In Search of the Jewish Soul Food. Some of the history may surprise you. Laura Silver, happy to have you. Thanks. Never did I blush when I said the word Kanish. But now, thanks to you, I blush when I say the word Kanish. Not my fault. No. Tell everyone what the word Kanish means in Yiddish slang. Is that really how we're going to get started? That's how we're going to, That's how we roll here. It is a euphemism for women's private parts. Yeah, vagina, I'll say. Yeah. It. It's okay to say on the radio, I think. Yeah, that's okay. Did you know that before you started the research for this book? I did. Um, that's not. That wasn't my motivation. Well, of course not. We're going to get to your motivation. But um, I had a sense because um, I had a sense and a few times when I ran into people of a certain generation and a certain background, they would say, what kind of Kanish are you researching? Ah. I said, no, no, the kind sold in <laughs> shops. Um, the potato pastry stuffed with stories. Yeah. But there is, of course, a famous reference in Henry Ross, Call It Sleep. And early on when I started this project, some friends of mine pulled it off their bookshelf and found the page and said, look, look, um, referencing the Yiddish slang of the Lower East Side in the 20s, 30s. So um, I was aware of it. Now, why of all the foods you could write about did you decide to write about the Kanish? Well, I say the Kanish found me. It was my favorite. My family had a favorite store, Mrs. Stalls in Brooklyn. You'll forgive me, not the Bronx. But <laughs> um, and when that store closed, that's when I really cultivated a deeper interest in the food since it was gone, like a who moved my cheese moment. Mm -hmm. And I found out that the recipe had been purchased by an Italian baker, pasta maker in Vineland, New Jersey. Hmm. And that's when I felt like there was something going on in the cultural sphere and what's interesting is Vineland was once a town with a lot of Jewish chicken farmers. I didn't know that before either. But that's what spurred my, my research, really, to find out what, why I had this connection to this shop, why I was driven to follow it. And then a few years after that, I found out that my maternal grandmother, in fact, was born in a Polish town called Knishin. Really? <laughs> yeah. So she lived in the Bronx, but she was from Knishin, and that makes me a direct descendant of the Kanish. Wow. So it's kind of preordained. So that being said, does the Kanish originate from Poland? Poland is one of the places where the Kanish started. I've identified a Kanish corridor in Eastern Europe. Many listeners may have heard of a Pale of Settlement. Well, within that is a Kanish corridor, which descends from about present-day Lithuania southward and a little bit more to the east as well, into parts of Poland, Ukraine, even present-day Belarus. Now, what surprised you in your research of the Kanish and where it originated from and all that history? Well, I'd say one of the most surprising things I found was that there's a legend in the town of Kanishin that links the wrapped pastry to mourning practices that aren't even in the Jewish tradition. These are professional mourners or weepers hired to cry at funerals would pass out wrapped pastries to the bereaved. And this is in the Catholic tradition. 
So I thought it was really interesting that something we consider so quintessentially New York City and often very much a Jewish food mm-hmm. has links to another culture and another religious background. Now let's get back to Mrs. Stahl's knishes for a moment. First of all, Mrs. Stahl's recipe for the knish is in this book. It certainly is. It was given to me by her granddaughters when I conducted a knish apprenticeship with them. Now, you traced Mrs. Stahl's family to California, am I right? Well, one granddaughter is in California. I was very excited to find that out through kind of circuitous, lucky, late-night internet search, etc. But then the following day, I found out that her cousin, in fact, had been swimming at the JCC on the Upper West Side with the mother of a very close friend of mine. So we were half a step away the whole time. What made Mrs. Stahl's knishes particularly special? Well, first of all, there was the shop under the elevated subway at Brighton Beach Avenue and Coney Island Avenue. You walked in there, there was an aroma that was just transportative. Onions and like fresh-baked bread, something like that. And the knishes themselves looked almost like they were about fist-sized. And what was so special is they had a twist in them. When you cut them open, you could see a piece of... The, the dough or the skin. So they had been rolled, a log, imagine a log of stuffed dough, then turned in on itself almost like a snail. And it was so special to cut that open and see this piece of slightly less cooked dough. It was somehow a view into a little peek at the process. It felt like a secret every time. And I say that that dough seemed to separate the knish into chambers like those of the human heart. What separates a good knish from an okay knish? Wow, that's very judicious of you to ask like that. Um, Well, I'd say the best knishes are made with love. And it's clear where then they're served hot, of course, and fresh. So I'd also say in modern day eating traditions make foods often quite large and larger than they need to be. So I'd say a good one of the best knishes are modest in size and are um, have a lovely spice with, let's say, onions, and um, perhaps, yeah, are well-spiced with onions. Now, there are some knishes that are more like desserts. I've seen chocolate knishes and apple strudel knishes. What do you think about that? Those are allowed. Um, there, <laughs> there are sweet knishes. That is one vein of knishes, um, usually with farmer's cheese and a kind of fruit filling. A chocolate, I feel like, isn't doesn't have a direct link to the old country, but there's room for innovation, and I've certainly heard of stranger knishes. Such as? Uh, wasabi and white chocolate. That's a guy in California is making those. Um, I'd say, for me, the most important thing is that a knish not contain non-kosher ingredients like shellfish or mm-hmm. ham. That would really disqualify a knish status. So Mrs. Stahl's is closed. Where in New York City do you go for a knish today? Well, that's I happen to have a list in my book of places to get good knishes. There's Yona Schimmel's, of course, on the Lower East Side, the Knish Nosh in Queens, which has a branch near Conservatory Water in Central Park. In, there are delis in almost every borough that have knishes that are delicious. And I would suggest making your own knishes. That's really the way to get the best ones. You know what's in it, and you have a chance to interact with the food and conjure something new. I understand there's this debate between round or square. So which is a knish, round or square? 
You're touching on all the hot button topics. And round or square, that is a big debate. And the round are usually baked, stuffed with potato. That's the Mrs. Stahl style. The square are fried. They're the more yellowy, almost brick-like things you see on a sidewalk cart made made by Gabilas. And there was the Kanish crisis of 2013. That is when the Gabilas factory in Copaig had a fire. And the world was without square knishes for almost six months. That big of an impact from one fire at one factory. Well, that's because they're the really the sole maker of these square knishes. They're machine-made. But you know, there are people on both sides of the debate, very heated opinions. And I'd say there's room for both. I think we've arrived at a time of the peaceable kingdom of the knish, when the square and the round can sit together and I'd say there are some other shapes. Historically, there have been half-moon-shaped knishes from a place called Shatskins, which existed in Brighton Beach. So I think what's most important is the intention to make a good knish and to give people something that, that can fill their guts and also their souls in a way. Was there a time in New York City when knish shops were as commonplace as pizza places? Just about. There may not have been as many Kanish shops, but you could get a Kanish on every corner, in a corner store or something, almost like you see a Jamaican patty today. Sometimes when you go to a pizza shop today, you can get a Jamaican patty or a Kanish, Mm -hmm. the square kind. So I'd say if you think of an era where there were maybe fewer bodegas as we know them and a different kind of corner store where there were other home-baked goods, the days of the Charlotte Russe, if people remember that. So the knish would be sold in many more locales. But there, and there, I'd say there were knish shops. There could be, you know, Sholem Aleichem, for example, referenced knish shops in one of his books. And he said the um, that his he wrote about Muddle, who had a, one character, Muddle, who had a relative who had opened a knish shop on Essex Street, and you should go there because it was delicious, but you should be careful not to go to the one across the street because that belonged to someone else. Hmm. So that gives you an idea of the prevalence of Kanish shops. When did the Kanish first come on the scene in New York City? What year was that about? Well, I'd say the first Kanishes came to New York about 1900 or so. Perhaps 10 years earlier, Jonas Schimmel is reported to have made some Kanishes then with the influx of so many Jews of Eastern European descent to New York City. So that I like to think that the Kanish sort of came on the backs of those immigrants. In the book, you share a document called the Ten Kanish Commandments. Indeed. What, what are they? <laughs> well, the Kanish Commandments came, came about during the Kanish War of Rivington Street in 1916, which was written up in the New York Times. The headline was, Rivington Street Sees War. Rival restaurant men cut prices on the succulent Kanish. And in fact, there was this back and forth between Max Green and Morris London, each with his own Kanish shop. And the war became more and more. It escalated. Um, one man put um, offered discount coupons. Another brought in an oompa band. And finally, Morris London of the United Kanish Bakery had to take action. He got a steam chest and he sought a patent for his Kanishes. And then Max Green was forced to retaliate. And he had been in business for 13 years so he staked his claim to the business by having a gigantic placard painted, hand-painted in Yiddish, by a prominent sign maker of the day called Rosenthal. And these are the Kanish commandments as they were written. 
One, all good pure food. Two, everything strictly fresh. Three, all bread, etc., baked on premises. Four, at any time, hot knishes. Five, strictly union waiters and bakers. Six, all articles used are strictly union made. Seven, I sympathize with organized labor, in case you hadn't figured that out already. Eight, my place is big, clean, and elegant. Nine, good music every evening. Ten, coupons with every knish. That meant you could just get more and more and more. Do we know who won this war? You know, it's not, it's not quite clear, but um, neither of them are around today. Unfortunately, and in a way, both of them may have won because they really wrote themselves into history. And this was covered not only in the New York Times, but in a trade journal for bakers called The Messenger. In 1919, it was still being written about. So um, I think they, neither of them completely lost. The Kanish has made several appearances in popular culture over the years, and you talk about those references in your book. Can you share some of those with us? Sure. Well, some of my favorites are from sitcoms. Um, Welcome back, Cotter, in an episode called "The Sweat Hog's Cure," the Sweat uh, Sweat Hog Clinic for the Cure of Smoking, and we discover that Mr. Cotter, in fact, had once had an addiction to the square fried knish. He brings this up because Juan Epstein is grappling with an addiction to cigarettes, and ultimately, Mr. Cotter relapses during the course of the episode. And he and Juan Epstein make a vow to go, go cold turkey. And they, at the end of the episode, you can see them plucking knishes and cigarettes from all these locales in the classroom, from behind the flagpole, from inside the radiator, inside the desk drawer. But it shows how much the knish was really embedded in the popular culture. Um, knish, of course, appeared in Woody Allen's movie, Whatever Works. Um, the Golden Girls featured the Kanish in a two-part episode called Sophia's Wedding, in which Sophia leaves Florida to come back to Brooklyn to pay her respects. Her best friend has died. And what ensues is a discussion about two couples' um, failed bid at a Kanish pizza shop. Hmm. And actually, the truth comes out. It leads to a new romance and... A new pizza knish shop is started in Florida for a brief moment. I will say, does life imitate art or art life? Mrs. Stahl's, my knish place, of my preferred knish place, was for a moment sharing space with a pizza shop. Is that right? It's true. Huh. What about musically speaking? Has the knish made its way into song at all? Yes, it certainly has. If folks know MF Doom, there's a guy called Rap Snitch Knishes. And there's Mickey Katz, who's a great parodist. I like to think of him as the grandfather of Weird Al Yankovic in the musical sense. Did turned the witch doctor into the Knish doctor. He said those who have pipic or belly button trouble should be prescribed Knishes. Way down in Africa, a docking in the jungle. You'll find a Knish doctor who looks just like you, uncle. The natives know him by the name of Jungle Yankle. He's All day they come to him, the crutches and the cranker. 
They come to him in sizes, can't separate and longer. He spills them on his mouth and then applies the bunkers. He doesn't have a fancy office or a chain of nerves. He makes his pills right in a voice of two. And if your capella is hiding as a song is stuck, it'll have to give a hot gear of the cup. We are all familiar with the Nathan's famous hot dog eating contest. But you tell us about the competitive Kanish eating contests. Yes. Well, it ha- the one I attended happened a few days after the Nathan's hot dog contest, and the crowd was slightly thinner. It, the competition occurred at Jewish Heritage Night at what was then called Keyspan Field in, Brighton B- in Coney Island, where the the Brooklyn Cyclones play. And I was there to see Joel Podelsky, world's reigning Kanish-eating champ, defend his title. He did it. And it was, I thought that was an interesting choice for showing Jewish heritage, but it is a food that connects us not only to Brighton Beach, but to an earlier history. There were square Kanishes. It wasn't pretty. Um, he said Joel Podelsky accredited his success to the fact that he was a blue-collar kind of guy, and being Jewish didn't hurt. I did watch him compete the Jamaican patty a few weeks after that, and he didn't place as high. There haven't been any Kanish um, eating contests since then, so I think he's, he's holding his title, and he is... He's lost about 50 pounds since then. Well, no, no surprise there. <laughs> Kanishas are heavy. No question about that. Kanishas and mustard go hand in hand, don't they? Yes, especially in New York City. I, I did meet some Kanish makers in, in the Twin Cities. In, I met some Kanish makers in St. Paul, Minnesota, and they don't use mustard. They thought it's so peculiar that I put mustard on my Kanishas. As I was their guest, I just nodded. And smiled. I will say my dad makes an excellent mustard. Is it hard to find a Kanish outside of New York City? It's not as hard as you might think. I discovered Kanish makers as far afield as Little Rock, Arkansas, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Away from big urban centers, people are probably more inclined to make their own Kanishes. Montreal is, of course, a hotbed of Kanishes. Toronto, Chicago... Boston has great Kanish scene, and San Francisco has some really interesting innovations in Kanish making lately. What's this about you traipsing around Manhattan's Lower East Side dressed in a rubbery yellow Kanish costume? It's foam rubber. It was foam rubber. And I was dressed as a square Kanish for part of the Conflux Festival, a performance and art festival. Some folks may know that Kanish, that Second Avenue on the Lower East Side from about 14th Street South, was once known as Kanish Alley because there were so many Yiddish theaters there. But a lot of that history had been forgotten, so I felt it important to call attention to this all-but-invisible history. So I did put on a yellow costume, a square Kanish, and invited about a dozen people who all came under their own free will to process with me up and down 2nd Avenue in a somber but hopefully uplifting commemoration of this bit of history. Unfortunately, some passersby thought I was dressed as a grilled cheese. (laughs) Laura Silver, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you.
That was Laura Silver, author of Kanish, In Search of the Jewish Soul Food. Her book is out now from Brandeis University Press. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Borarki. From the pages of Laura Silver's book, we looked for the perfect bite. The Yona Schimmel Kanish Bakery has been a New York City staple for six generations. We recently visited with the store manager to find out more. My name is Ellen Anastratov. And who, who do you own? Who are you here? I'm one of the partners, like a manager in the store. How long have you been one of the partners here? Uh, well, it's... Uh, it's like it's in a family. It's in direct family, but it's, it's in a family. It's six generations, the same family. Six generations. Wow. So you're, you're the sixth, huh? No, my kids are. Your kids are. So you're the fifth. Yeah. Wow. What is that like to have an establishment like this in New York City for six generations? It feels great to be a part of something like this. Yeah. How did it start? Well, it started from Yona Schimmel. He was a scribe. He came from Eastern Europe, from Hungary, Romania, from that area. And he wanted to teach people spirituality. But at that time, everybody who came was immigrants, so nobody had money to, you know, to study and pay for that. So his wife was making knishes. And... Uh, they had knishes in a push cart, and they would sell it in Konya Island. That's how they started. And in 1890, they opened up a store across the street from us. And uh, in 1910, they moved here. And they have been here ever since. That's pretty amazing, especially in New York City, when establishments open and close all the time. That right outside, you have that sign that says, since 1910. Yeah. Everything is original. The counter, the downwaiter, the tables. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So how do you make a knish? A knish is potato or something mixed with potato, like spinach, cabbage, sweet potato, broccoli, whatever you want to mix it with, with potato, with salt, pepper, you know, onions and spices, wrapped in a very thin dough, round and baked. That's original knish. But you can make whatever you want. You can call it whatever you want. You know, that's what people do. Now, here's your menu right here. You have quite a few different kinds of knishes on here. Yes. We started from a basic, I guess, like potato, kasha, spinach. And then we add, like, now we have about 20 different kinds of knishes. And uh, special of the day today is jalapeno pepper with mozzarella, potato, onions, and spices. Which I am going to try in just a moment. How do you come up with the varieties for your knishes? Uh, whatever sounds good, we try it, and we see how people love it. When people love it, then we know it's good, so we remake it. And you have a special of the day every day? Yes. Yes. Have you ever had a knish that simply didn't work? You tried it, and just didn't sell? No. No. No such thing, huh? No such a thing, no. What's your favorite kind of knish? Um, today's special is my favorite. Also, cabbage is my f- Well, it's like whatever you're in the mood for. 
it's you have to be in the mood. Like sometimes I'm in the mood for kasha knesh. Sometimes I'm in the mood for cabbage knesh. Sometimes I'm in the mood for sweet, but whatever. It's like you have to be in the mood. They're all great. You cannot pick and choose. They're all great. Now, some are certainly more like desserts, like the apple strudel and the chocolate cheese. Yeah. Yeah, we have sweet knishes, too, also wrapped in a very thin dough. Now, what's the best way to eat a knish? Is a knish a meal in itself? It's pretty filling, yeah. It it's definitely can be a meal. It can be a side dish or it can be a meal, for sure. Yours are certainly meal-sized. Yes. That one is huge. Yes, we also uh, have knishes for the parties, a dwarf size, cocktail size. So they're like just like a bite size. How many calories would you say are in your traditional knish? Okay, so a knish is baked and not it's not fried. And it's basically made out of potato, which is like mashed potato, baked potato, you know, and... Uh, it has a lot of potassium, which is very good for you. Like I said, too much of anything is not good, but uh, it's pretty health- healthy. I call it gourmet food. Uh, I would say 200, 250 calories. Not bad. Not yeah. bad at all. Not bad at all. Have you sampled any of the other knishes in New York City? You do that. I don't like to talk about the others. I wish everybody the best. How much tourist traffic do you get here? A lot. Yeah, we get, like, tourist buses. Uh, We are advertised in uh, tourist books. So it sounds like for a lot of people who come here, this is their very first knish. They want a real New York City knish. Yeah, well, we get both. We get people who come in and they say, my grandfather used to bring me here when I was five, and they're, like, 100 years old, like, 90 years old. Um and then we get people who don't know what's a knish and we need to explain to them. But the best part is when whoever is, is, um, is standing here and they know what's a knish and whoever doesn't know what's a knish, they're actually telling them what's a knish and they tell them what to buy. And I just stand and, and you know, just listen and enjoy. How much time did you spend here growing up at this knishery? As long as I can remember. Ever since you were a little girl? Yeah, ever since I was a little girl. And the same thing with your children? Yeah. Same thing with my children, yeah. You have this great wall of photographs. Where are all of these photographs from? I guess photographs throughout the years? Yeah. It's Woody Allen. There's a lot. Larry Davis. A lot of uh, photographs over there. So you have your fair share of celebrities that come by for a condition. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's an article from years back. It says, um, in order to be a politician, you must have a knish. So. Who are among your favorite celebrities who've come through? Jones River was here. Yeah, we miss her. Um, Francis Ford Coppola was here. Barbara Streisand was here. A lot. I just like cannot remember offhand, but yeah. What would you say are the biggest misconceptions about the knish? You said some people are just not familiar with it. Uh, they think that the knish is square, but in reality, it's not. That's why I say you can make whatever you want. You can call it whatever you want.
Has there ever been pressure here to modernize this facility? As you said, it's pretty much the way it was. But have you ever felt that, hey, we should make this new, make this look new? I don't think that we should make it new. I think that we should take it further. I think we should expand. I think it should be franchised. I think it should be everywhere in that way. We can take past into the present for everybody to know what it is. So you want to see this Kanish place all over the place? All over the place, yeah. Well, I am going to try this Kanish. So it looks delicious. As I said, it is huge. So let me just take a nice bite into this. And you're going to feel yourself in, in heaven. I'm sure I will feel myself in heaven. Here we go. Mm. That is a wonderful knish, and I'm talking with my mouth full. I know that it's not polite, but it is delicious, <laughs> Ellen. Well, that's why I say if you didn't have Yonah Shemal knish, you never really had a knish. Well, now I have had a knish. Yes. Ellen, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Ellen Anastratov from the Yona Schimmel Kanish Bakery on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Taylor Nolk. Have a great weekend. I want to sing about these knishes. It's been one of my fondest wishes To taste the potato and the kasha I ate when I was a clay in Now if you don't know what a knish is It's a Jewish dish that is delicious It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.